Welcome to I Used to Be a Therapist. I am genuinely glad you're here today. This is the ninth episode in the Transformation Project series. And today I get to share with you my conversation with Suzanne Carpenter. Suzanne is a health and nutrition coach, and she has an amazing story to tell. Suzanne lives with her husband, Dave, and their four kids, all teens and grownups in Michigan. She is the owner of Carpenter 180, a health and nutrition coaching business. We get to hear a little bit about that in our chat. And she has an amazing story to tell about how she found herself needing to recover from her own eating disorder. So just heads up, there are a couple little tech issues here, but don't worry, it's still amazing, thanks to my techie husband, Scott. But this story is important. It's worth listening to. It's inspiring and something I know will add value to your life. Let's listen in. I'm Dr. Wendy Bruton, and I used to be a therapist. Welcome to my podcast. Each week, I'll be sharing life, stories, interviews, and information that I know will be of value to you and to your life and to the lives that you touch. If you need a therapist or just someone who used to be a therapist, I hope that this is a place where you feel valued, valuable, and learn to move forward from what you used to be. I'm so glad you're here. Welcome, Suze. Thanks so much for being here with us. I'm just so happy you're here, really. I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you for having me on. Oh, thanks for joining me. I am so excited to hear your story and to let you tell your story. But before we get going on that, I want you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Just tell us about who you live with, your job, what you do, all that stuff. All the things. All the things. Yeah. Okay. Well, so I've been married to my husband, Dave, for 24 years. We met freshman year in college and we decided we'd stay together as long as it was fun. And then we have four kids and I have a 20-year-old and an 18-year-old and twins that are 13. And I promise you, I thought they were babies or they were babies 10 minutes ago. Um <laughs> I once upon a time was a first grade teacher and I retired when number two was born. And then about 10 years ago, I picked up a direct sales company and I just got my, my entrepreneur chops going. And I did it because of a job change my husband had and we had a sudden 40% pay cut. Ooh. But getting into that space was really the beginning of how I am where I am now, where I'm a nutritional consultant and entrepreneur and creating courses and programs for people and really enjoying the stage of life that I'm in right now. Very cool. That's really exciting. So you're making courses and, and you're doing coaching. Yes. Yes. So my company is called Carpenter 180 and Carpenter build things. And my last name is Carpenter and 180 is a direction, 180 degree turn that we're trying to make in a lifestyle, one intentional decision for 80 days in a row, because it takes about 66 days to make a habit because nutrition is something that we, we should understand when we were in junior high and high school, it should have been taught to us in a way that we have much more food peace right now than we tend to have. And I built this company trying to fill in the gaps so that everybody can get the information in the best way that they learn. I love that. I want to hear more about it a little bit. So, um, but let's get going on hearing your story. I I know that people are going to just love to hear this. So why don't you tell us a little bit about just your life before the big change that we're going to talk about. Tell us about what your expectations were about your life, what your experience was, um, what was just going on for you? Okay. Oh, I was raised that I should be like Pollyanna. Like it's not ideal to talk about hard things. You want to add value where you go. Um, You want to have a smile. You don't fuss or complain. Good old Midwestern values coming out of Michigan there. Yeah. So I am six foot two. I know you can't tell that on... Oh, you're super tall. By listening to me. Mm-hmm. So I always say I make a joke out of it now that I have a different perspective on everything. But I think being so tall at such a young age is mm-hmm. part of what started me down the path and down my secret that we're going to get to in just a minute. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, 
I wanted to lead a life where I was authentic, where I was a real deal, where I had great friendships that we being around one another. I wanted a strong family unit. I wanted our family to enjoy another. I wanted my extended family with my brothers and my mom and dad to be the same. And it's it's funny how life will just throw you curveballs to get mm. you on the path to where you're supposed to be going. But for years after I came home from teaching first grade, I retired when number two was born. My husband was building the corporate career and he was providing beautifully for us. Mm-hmm. Now he's our favorite. Like he's a great person to have around and we all can't get enough of him. But in providing for us, he was always on an airplane or traveling, gone at nighttime. He missed a lot of the kids' upbringing. But we subscribed to our significance was the amount of money he made, the title on his business card, the trophies on his desk. That was our significance. And we always believed that if we did right by the company, me being the corporate wife and Dave doing the corporate career, the company would always do right by us. Mm -hmm. And that was just our good old values. Sure. And we had a lot of stories attached and we were trying very hard to make that work. And then we were throwing a curveball. Oh my goodness. So what happened? What was the curveball? Okay. Now this was 2009 Mm -hmm. and this is when the auto industry tanked in Michigan. Mm -hmm. So the economy was going down. I ended up in the hospital with a full bowel obstruction and I was in there for almost a month. And my GI said, you need to exercise every day for your abdominal health. And while I was in the hospital, like attached to an IV pole, my husband came in and he said, it's January and I'm forecasting. And I think we need to go find something else before we have to go find something else. So that started, he had a 14 year career with this company and our identity was that he was going to stay there forever. He was in his forever job. We were in our forever home. So this was very upsetting to at home wife where all of a sudden everything that was stable is now not, and Mm -hmm. I'm sick. Mm -hmm. So We had two jobs to choose from, one that was going to have him overseas three weeks a month, and it was fancy, or this little job down in Jackson, Mississippi, where he'd be home at night. And somehow, because of the way the corporation thing ended up, we wanted to go and fight to be a family. And that's where the 40% pay cut came in. So we're down there, and I go to work out, just like my GI told me to, and that's where I bumped Excel's company. And I felt like I was moving through syrup all the time. Like I knew I needed to do something and I liked what I had my hands on, but my girlfriend said, you'd be good at this and I'll help you. And I wanted to stay home and make money. And I, I tell that because that's where I was really like, Ooh, I kind of like this. And it got into my skin. Okay. So two more things. One, I was noticing that people were, I was fitting them to products and they were wanting magic diet pills and those don't exist. So I'm over here working on the kitchen pro bono, loving it. And I'm starting to dream about building with how I can serve people because that's what I loved doing. Then about the same, I'm asked this question, the question. And the question is, you say you would die for your kids, but would you change for them? And that question kept me up at night. It rattled around in my ears because that one was going to make me face my great shame that I spent my whole life stuffing down. Like I tried not to think about it myself. And that is that I had an eating disorder. I would starve myself all day long until biology took over and I was binging, couldn't control it anymore. And then I would use exercise to outrun my fork and laxatives. I could never throw up. So my GI unknowingly gave an addict a prescription. And I used that prescription like a badge of honor. I was like, GI said, I have to go work out. I'll see all y'all. Okay. So when that question was posed to me, I became very aware in a very short amount of time that if I didn't get myself help, that my girls were to grow up and have the same internal emotional conversation with themselves that I was having and the same relationship with food because I am their role model. So it was out of being responsible to them and wanting them to talk kindly to themselves that began to pursue doing something about taking and healing from the eating disorder. Who posed that question to you? 
It was a physician at a conference that I was asked and it was, it wasn't a one-on-one. It was a big room of people, but that it was like, it was a room of one. It landed on me so profoundly. I, I would wonder if many people even heard the question at all, but it, it is the question that changed everything. That's a good, that's a really good question for many, many people, because the truth is that most of us, of course, if it came down to it, would die for our kids. Mm -hmm. But are we going to change to be healthy for our kids? That's a completely different question. Especially when you're somebody that wants to be honest and full of integrity and you, you care that, um, how do I say this right way? I authentic. I did not want to risk saying out loud once I decided I needed to do something about this. I didn't want to say I'm going to fix this and then not follow through with it. And then that was more shameful to me. That was a very big responsibility step that I took because I knew there was no going back. And I had to be in a place willing to press forward, no matter what it cost me in terms of emotional work or changes that were going to have to come. Mm -hmm. It's really big because you have to decide if you're strong enough. Yes. And here's what I knew about me. I was putting 110% effort into being the best version of me that I could possibly be. And I was on a road to nowhere that I didn't want to go, but I was already giving everything I had. It was very difficult to imagine that if I'm, that, that somebody had a little more information than I did that could fill in the gaps that could produce true change Uh, because I was already so leaned in to doing everything I could and I wasn't getting there. It was unfathomable that I would actually achieve what I was missing to get to the other side of this monster. mm, That's very trust fall forward to make. That's very, very hard. When did that eating disorder start for you? Okay. So the reason I told you I was so tall as a young girl, I think that it started in high school, maybe even middle school. Um, Being so tall in middle school, I was never going to fit into the box, you know, as you compare yourself to peers. So I was a little bit, I was trying to pull down the weight so that I could fit in at least one way. And I remember took me a year. I, I forgot this memory for years. And then it came to me that this one day I was sitting on the bus and it must've been hot. Cause I had shorts on and I was just sitting on the bus. So my, my legs were flat on the seat. And I remember a boy walking past me to the back of the bus, which makes me think he was the popular boy, mm-hmm. you know, and the popular kids sat in the back of the bus. Yes. And so with my legs flat on the bench of the bus seat, he had said, you know, you have really big thighs. And I think uh-huh. that those two things they indicated that I was not fitting the mold. I was not enough. And so I was going to need to take matters into my own hand. And I think that's where the beginning of trying to solve this food riddle started at a young age. And now a lot of times, and I hope this is not a trigger for people because I want them, I want everyone to know I was on a path to misery. I didn't want to be doing what I was doing. I just didn't know a better way. So there was a point that I was 200, 26 pounds before I was ever pregnant. And that was with restricting and binging and trying to exercise to solve the problem. It doesn't work. I I was miserable, but I didn't know a different way. And then I figured out how to starve myself and get down to 135 pounds mm-hmm. by just complete willpower. But I was shaky, hungry, tired, miserable, irritable, all the time. I didn't want to go places where food was. I didn't want to have family outings. I didn't want to be triggered. I can remember so many vacations where I would get up at 4.30 and 5 in the morning before the kids ever got up so that I could get my workout in because I was more afraid of not working out and gaining all that weight back. Mm. So I had attached these food rules to this life that I was trying to create. And when you really dig underneath this, I was eating and doing what I was doing because I was trying to control something. I was trying to find my confidence. I was trying to find a way not to start the day out as an underdog. And little did I know, it was the shame that I felt 
that was causing me to feel like the underdog that was causing me to feel so bad. Yeah. And so then when you went to this event and you heard this person say that, and you knew, you knew this was something that needed to change, right? But you couldn't figure it out and you didn't know how basically. No, that, I mean, that's the hard part is I, I was already leaning in and doing everything that I possibly could. So this is what I did. I had to start having a conversation about with myself of if I'm going to talk about this, if I'm going to go get help, am I willing to change if they have a a different way? Mm -hmm. I had to realize that my way wasn't working. Am I willing to try something different? That's a big question to answer honestly. So then I had to practice talking to myself about it. Cause like I said, I had stuffed this thing down. I mean, I buried mm. it. I didn't even really think about it much. It was just what I was doing, not mm-hmm. what I was thinking about. So I had to practice writing it in a journal before I could ever hire somebody. Then I hired counselors and therapists and an RD and people that could teach me, but I was paying them. So I practiced, I told the counselor first about my eating disorder but that relationship wasn't as important as the one like Dave, you know, and I decided for him how he was going to react. I didn't give him the grace to, to react the way he would. I decided that, you know, I was going to be unlovable and unlikable and that my relationships were going to fall away. And so when I told the counselor, I was met with love and understanding and she helped to frame what the story would look like when I did tell him. And I mean, this thing, I built the shame monster into something huge and it was so heavy and it had so much kinetic energy in my body to hide. And then when I let it go and I shared it, it was like this huge relief came off and I found my voice and I found my confidence and I'm so glad to be free of it that I wish I had done it sooner. Oh yeah. Brene Brown, right? She says, empathy is what kills shame. And the only way you can get empathy is to be vulnerable. So being able to say those, those words out loud and be vulnerable, and then you get that love and empathy and validation back, that just kills your shame. That's fabulous. Great story. Does she also say something like, shame only exists in a Petri dish? Is that also something she says? Yeah, I mean, it sure is. It sure does exist. It exists in a place that is not exposed, right? If it's not exposed, it will just grow and grow and grow and grow. Yeah. It's true. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there you are. You have to decide, make this decision, and then you go in and tell people. So in the middle of your changing, I mean, this doesn't just change overnight. This isn't something that just, okay, now I'm fine and everything's better and all all's well, right? So in the middle of this change, I mean, what happened with your relationships? Did you find new relationships, I, lose relationships? What happened? Well, I, I didn't tell a lot of people in the early phases. I kept this one tight mm. while I was really working on the beginning stages of recovering. <sighs> it was just Dave. It was just me because I, I needed not to have a lot of extra noise. I needed to just practice mm. and just have his ridiculous encouragement and not worry about anything else. And then when I started to see a little bit of success, when I started to trust eating, when I trusted food, when I really understood the science behind what I was doing and why, when I understood why exercise wasn't part of the weight loss equation, when I understood what fiber would do to help my metabolism and how I was fueling my body, once I really got the knowledge that I needed, it's what convinced me. Then I saw that that was something that was sustainable. Okay, so that's when I gently started opening the door and sharing this with a few friends. And the thing is, if I lost relationships, I was at a place in my life where I realized those relationships weren't for me anymore anyway. Mm -hmm. Because my people, the people that I was going to spend time with, were going to take me broken, battered, bruised, and put back together mm-hmm. or not at all. Because this is, I realized that that messy part of my life is what made me who I am now. And it's a, it's all part of the story. And so 
I didn't lose a lot of friendships, but I think it might also have a little bit to do with how I gave the message away as well. Like, this is just what happened to me and I'm recovering. And I, I will say, I don't, I don't have a lot of people in my life that are the type of people that want to hold someone to the messiest part of your story. Like, you know, in high school, when you're up with your shenanigans and you have the person that's always going to draw you back to the goofy time rather than celebrate who you are now, because you continue to grow and evolve and become a better version of yourself. I tend to have more people that celebrate this person rather than constantly going and thinking, or, um, what do I want to say there? You know, when somebody looks at you through the lens of who you were in the past, I I don't have a lot of that around me. I love those words. Like that you don't have people in your life that hold you to the messy part of your life, like that identify or that give that identity to you as a person who is whatever, messed up, who is a person who is depressed or who is who has a eating disorder or was an alcoholic or whatever it is. They don't hold you to that and they don't call you that or name you that. They name you who you are now. And I, I like that. That's cool. Well, because that's healthy. The person you're talking to wants to be treated as who they are right now. The best they don't want you to constantly be drawing up their goofiest time in their life and bringing it back up to the forefront. So it's mm-hmm. just not fair to have relationships that do that to you. And those are the ones that are okay to put a little bit of space in. Absolutely. Those are the ones that you need to look at them. If there's a really part of your tribe and say, I might need a different tribe. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Right, let's talk a little bit about identity. How did you identify yourself? Maybe what were some of the ways that you identified yourself before? And then as you went through this recovery time, how did that identity change? Oh, okay. This is the part that is why I can say I really like the phase of life that I'm in right now. And this is a hard phase of life, but I like it because I feel like I'm out in the light and I have an idea of what I'm about. Before, I was Pollyanna with a smile and I can just best say that I was numb. I didn't know what I liked. I didn't know what I was about. I am an Enneagram three, which means I have an incredible ability to adapt in any situation. It's always been something that I could do, but it also was very confusing to me because I didn't know what I really liked. I just could conform and find joy in any situation I was in. So in Going through, it was almost like just crossing the road. In going into facing the eating disorder, I had to really identify what I'm about and what I like. And it it really came down to the confidence thing of, I have a voice. I am worthy. There's room for me. There's a space for me. My life is worth building in a way that meets my dreams, not the kid in high school or the neighbor. I, I finally let go of comparing to others and put some blinders on about what is the best thing for me and for my family. And we, my husband and I, we have like this tagline that we say, we're raising great adults. And by the way, I'm one of them. I'm still raising me. We're raising great adults. And that is a plumb line that we make all our decisions against. And the reason, reason I say that is before I had that plumb line to decide what we were going to do, other people's opinions mattered and they carried a lot of weight. And that was really unsettling for me. Like I felt like, you know, like one of those blow up balloons that you pop down and it falls down, it bounces back up. I felt like a weeble wobble, very subjective to other people's opinions where once we decided we're raising great adults, it became Suzanne and Dave and what, what the right next step is for our family. It got really clear and that felt really good. Yeah. I love that. First of all, I love the raising great adults thing. There is actually a book that I should probably look up somewhere and put in the notes somewhere. And it's a great book. It's about how to raise kids and not worry about happy five-year-olds, but (laughs) right. Like to, or, or happy 12-year-olds or whatever it is. Like you're raising people who are going to be adults, who are going to be grownups, who are going to function in the world. And how do you, that's your, that's your vision and that's your goal. And 
not these little things that are here yeah mm-hmm. because then it makes making them happy as a 16 year old not my problem not my problem Mm-mm. I'm not worried about you being happy right now. I'm worried about making the right decision for you and mm-hmm. you being happy when you're 25 and 30 because you're capable and able. I, I like, and that's part of what I want to give to them is give them that ability. Huge gift, huge gift. I love that. And I really like the whole idea of finding yourself, right? Like you were talking about, I didn't know exactly what I wanted and who I was. And I just knew I needed to feel a certain way or look a certain way or be a certain way or be somebody that everybody wanted from me, right? So when you when you did find yourself, I mean, what are some of the things that you found about yourself that you didn't know? Well, I found out that it was okay for me to say I'm not good at that. Holy man, that was one of the best things to learn. I had to be good at everything. Mm. I believed that lie. Uh, saying I don't know or I'm not good at that was not okay. And then once I crossed over, I mean, for me to say, yeah, I'm terrible at technology or I can goof up a cake mix box because I'm so bad at following directions and details. I love being able to admit that goofy party quirk in me and celebrate it rather than feel ashamed and embarrassed and less than, and that I needed to explain myself away. I love the freedom of just going, yeah, that is not my strength. And finding somebody else who's good at it to fill in and stand in that gap. And knowing what your strengths are, mm-hmm. right? And when you can say, I don't do this, but I can do this. It's not like I don't do anything. And, yes. I, and sometimes I feel like that's where people get to is that they, they don't say I can't do this because that would might mean that I couldn't do anything. You know, and I woke up every day my whole life trying to be a good girl. I just wanted to be a good human, but I didn't get past that. So I didn't have direction. And then there's something about when I rank ordered my priorities in life, and I did that again after I started recovering, when I realized that I had faith, family, friends, that was my rank order, work. When I would be asked to do something and I needed to say no, I would feel tremendous guilt before. And now I can stand so much more confidently in while that's a great request and that's a good yes, I have six other better yeses that I need to attend to and I don't have the bandwidth for that now. And I don't have the same guilt and shame that I'm letting somebody else down because I understand my mission in life is to raise great adults. Yeah, I love that. And you have it prioritized. And so Mm -hmm. you know where you can, the bandwidth that you have and how much you can take into that. Right. I I like that. That's good. Mm -hmm. All right. I want to know, and maybe you've already told us something of this, but maybe there's something else that a lesson that you learned through this experience that you could not have learned any other way. That is a good question. I know it's actually that failure is an event. It's not who you are through this. I would see failure as like the lights are off, you're done. It's either good or bad. Instead, through this, I've learned, I say it all the time, fail forward, Mm -hmm. do it bad, perfect. Failure is an opportunity to learn something. It's Mm -hmm. not who you are. It's just, can you take this and learn from it? Can you grow from it? And that has been a powerful change in my mindset. I love that. Fail forward. That's a book by John Maxwell. Yes, that is one of the most important books I've read. I love him. I do too. I do too. Someday I'm going to like meet him. I actually listened to him speak in person last summer. Very fun. I I do just two months ago, right before. Really? Yes, I was at a private screening while he was teaching six modules of his newest book, Leaders Something Something. A leadership. Leadership. Nope, the one after that. Oh, the one, the uh, new one. Yeah, I saw the, uh, I think a Facebook Live about it or something. I bet I was in the audience when he was doing the Facebook Live for that. I got Because he was teaching at Facebook Live yes. at some point. That's so cool. I love him. He is somebody I keep in my ears all the time. Yeah, me too. Yeah. I love that we have like the John Maxwell connection there. Okay, that was wonderful. I would love to know. Now that you've, you've moved forward and you went through this really hard time and so many lessons, I am sure. And so much life change. Where are you now? Like, 
where are you now that you would never have expected to be? Okay, personally, inside my own skin, it feels at peace and it feels quiet and it feels lighter. It doesn't feel as heavy. Mm. I feel healthy. I have energy. I'm not stressed all the time worrying about my weight. I'm not starving myself. I'm healthy. Like it's all the things I wanted that I didn't know how to have. And so it feels really, really good. Now, what I took from that though, is I have a mother Teresa complex and I am created Carpenter 180. Basically it's what I needed to know when I was 20 years old that I didn't know. So Mm -hmm. I put it out into a company to give it back because now I know there's a lot of women that don't have the same extreme that I did men too, but two out of three Americans are overweight. One out of three is obese. It is still an epidemic and it's not about vanity. It's not about gene size. It is, that is not my platform. However, Every 10 pounds is kind of like a layer of pain that we're covering up with something. And if Americans are carrying 30, 40, 50 extra pounds, we're getting into health crisis issues of heart disease, hypertension, diabetes, inflammation. We're getting into problems that medically are very expensive to solve. And here we are right now recording this during Corona time when we're in a health epidemic. So I'm trying to come alongside with this company and give back the knowledge that I learned that's not so hard and give it in a way that people can really understand it and make lifelong change so that they can live a life without these burdens as well, so that they have the energies, they have the health to go live, build, create, and do amazing things in their families, communities, and churches. Mm, I love that. And I can't wait for people to check it all out. And we'll have it all in the, the show notes. I'll ask some more about that too. But did your expectations for where your future would be change? We talked a little bit about what the expectations were before. So after going through this, were your expectations changed or just maybe fulfilled? I don't even know. I don't know. I would say a dream was fulfilled or a prayer that I prayed was answered. And I'm in a place of just awareness and gratitude. But I also have a different feeling of responsibility to make sure that my girl's path stays clean, that they understand and same thing with other women, other men. Like it's a now it's like I'm on a mission field mm. that I never expected to be on. So it's I, I never saw this part of the story. I could have never looked no. into the crystal ball this far to see this. Now this is a whole different dream that I'm living in. Yeah. I'm wondering like if you would go back if you did have a crystal ball, if you could look back to the past. And you could take yourself back. So you yourself right now, where you, who you are, your grown up self, and take yourself back and maybe sit next to that little girl on the bus. What would you tell her? Oh, my gosh. I would hug her. That's what I would do. Yeah. You know, I would actually, I would tell her, <laughs> I would tell her that you are loved and you are just fine the way you are. And that's going to be really hard to know that that's the truth. That's going to be one of the hardest things to remember and believe. Uh, The bad stuff is easy to believe 10 times over than the good, peaceful, kind things. But I would also, I would want to, I mean, I really would want to tell her the basics about the food. This has plagued me so much of my life. And it was such a heavy thing for me that if I could go back to that little girl and I could teach her about protein, fat, and fiber so that she could just go butterfly off and live her life without this burden, I sure would. Oh, that's great. So she's loved and there's some things you need to know. Yeah. 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 That's good. Because knowledge is power. Like when you know more, you do better. Yeah. You know, and mindset is everything. So if you feel like you've got control and you crack the code, then that's, that's going to raise confidence. And then you feel like you're equipped to do something about it. That does a lot for somebody's emotional state. I felt like a turtle on her back floundering because I didn't know how to solve my problem. Mm -hmm. I wanted to know. I was looking. I just didn't look in the right places for so long. Sure. Maybe you didn't even know that there was things to know. No. 
And I was seeking. So then you think about all the people right now that they're not even aggressively seeking. They're just listening to what their neighbor does or what they see on YouTube or whatever. And they're, they're wanting to do better. They just don't have the information. And it's hard to find. It's as hard for me to find the person that wants the information as it is for them to find me because it's such a crowded space. Yeah. It's so true. That's how I felt. That's how I felt. I was looking for someone to help me. Yeah. And you couldn't, I I would like also to talk a little bit about, you were talking about obesity and I know I have struggled with my weight. Anybody knows me, I've struggled with my weight my whole life really. And I'm wondering, you know, folks who are on that end of the spectrum are going to say, well, you don't really get it because, you know, you're just skinny and tall and cutesy wootsy. And can you talk a little bit about the the relationship with food? Yeah, well, so I did weigh 226 pounds once upon a time. So I did, I did fit into an obese category or definitely on the high side of overweight for quite a few years. The, the, this is what I believe with the food. Anybody, anybody can download a meal plan and it's still a calories in calories out equation. Women tend to stay with something four weeks. Men tend to stay for six, but we don't, we don't stay in the long term because the emotions get involved. Emotions Mm -hmm. always override logic. Let me also say I'm at a fundamental level. Like I'm teaching protein, fat, and fiber. I'm teaching how to burn fat for fuel. I'm teaching groceries. There are people with more sophisticated problems and next steps that need to go see an RD or get into somebody who's going to monitor much, much closer. Mine is think about your learning and a little bit of accountability, but emotional eating. I mean, that's the crux of this thing. Emotion overrides logic. So in the feeling spectrum, we, as humans, we have the, the pain side and we have the joyful side, the painful side would be your left hand and you can't keep it on the stove. It's too hot to sustain. And your right hand is so joyful. It doesn't sustain either like Christmas morning or endorphins for a run. Now, when you're in the pain spectrum, we as humans are wired to get away from that as fast as we possibly can. We don't want to feel bad. So here we are feeling stress, overwhelmed, inadequate, underdog, work is not going well, relationships are hard, lonely, fear, whatever pain, emotion you have, it's there. Now in America, it's not okay, or it's society frowns on gambling or stealing or driving too fast or drugs or any number of things that you could do to get an endorphin kick, society frowns on it. So they don't really do it. But if you are feeling pain, it is okay to cover up with food. It's okay to numb out with Ben and Jerry's or a bag of chips. But the thing is to realize this is where once I get people a little bit of education and they get a little bit of success, They get three or five pounds off and they're starting to sleep better, feel better, better energy. Maybe the scale's going down. We're getting education, a little empowerment, but now it's getting into the emotion to understand, okay, we've got the feeling of let's call it um, stress and we're going to Ben and Jerry's to get this thing to go away. All Ben and Jerry's is going to do is numb or cover up the stress while you're eating. Now food is finite. You're going to get to the bottom of the Ben and Jerry's. You're going to get to the end of the chip bag, whatever. When the food is gone, you're going to have your blood sugar go up and go down. And that feels really bad. Your belly will probably hurt. Then bubbles going to pop off your pain. It's not going to be numb anymore. Stress is going to come back and you have the feeling of regret or shame, or I wish I didn't do that and calories and, and, and. So when you understand that emotional eating is really your body saying, I'm emotionally hungry, it's going to food for an endorphin to help feed your emotion back to the happy side. So if we can, when you're not in an emotional spiral, get underneath the peanut butter or the chips that you're hungry for, but get underneath it to, I have to write an email I don't want to write. I need to learn something that feels hard and I feel uncertain. I have a relationship that's going bad that I need to address. I want to feel comforted. If you can get underneath that and identify what the emotion is, the reason I say that is you're much more likely to stick to whatever plan it is that's moving you in the direction with your weight loss or weight management that you want to be on. Mm -hmm. So what I look to do for myself and for everyone, create a pattern of eating that you can do now that honors your intentions. 
what, whichever it is, weight loss or weight management, but it needs to be something you're doing now that you see yourself doing when you're 80. And if you can't see yourself doing this when you're 80, we have not found the right plan. Mm. So it's not about living a life of restriction. I mean, I love chocolate. I want my red wine. I want chocolate cake. And if those have to get removed for the rest of my life, I can't sustain that. So instead, what we have to learn how to do is balance our blood sugar with protein, fat, and fiber, fiber to rev your metabolism, weight loss without hunger, malabsorbed calories, fats and toxins does a lot for your health. But if you understand that you're going to feel so good, then when you come in front of your favorite food, the food that you really love, Instead of binging and eating so much of it, you're much more likely to have a thoughtful indulgence and enjoy it and then move on Mm. and just kind of pivot and get back on schedule because we're creating a lifestyle. We're not creating a diet. We've got to create a pattern of eating. Mm. So that's why I say, if we can't do something now that you see yourself doing when you're 80, we haven't found it yet. Yeah. Well, thank you. Okay. I'm going to ask you. One more question before we get to the last three questions I ask everybody. So my last question here is if you're going to talk to somebody, anybody, a person that is going through a big life change or going through the really hard part of change, what do you think the three things that they need to know? You are worth it. You can survive it. And you absolutely want to position people around you that you can talk to, to help you through it, who are further along. Mm -hmm. I think that you are worth it and you will survive it are not obvious when you're beginning to think about making a change. No, and when it's so hard and you're in the middle of it. Scary. It's super scary. And it's hard to, to get yourself out of that pain place to look to the future to say I am worth it because it doesn't feel real that part. So Mm -hmm. thank you for that. That is very good. Okay. Before we ask the last three questions, I want to have you tell us where everybody can find you because they're going to want to find you. Oh, (laughs) so everything is Carpenter 180. So Carpenter O-N-E 80, one intentional decision, 80 days in a row to create a new habit and a new lifestyle. So Instagram and Facebook, Carpenter 180, www.carpenter180.com is my website. And then if you go to my website, there's seven free days of SOS, Sue's on your shoulder, those little sound bites I was talking about. You can sign up seven days. I send grocery lists and snack ideas. And it's not like the 17 page grocery list that none of us ever do anything with. It's like the smaller one that is actually something that you can go, all right, this makes sense to me, Mm. but it's meant to be real practical, real hands-on to get you um, started on the right path. It's where I start everybody. Mm. So definitely go there and then follow me on Instagram on my stories. I love the highlight stories at the top because every day I show up with at least one of the meals that I'm eating to just be a role model to show it's delicious. It's not just like you're eating grass all the time. They're delicious foods, far more creative than you imagine. And just show up how easy it is to do and that the family can do it. I love that. Thank you so much. Okay. Here's my last three. And I'll put all that in the, in the show notes too. Okay. Last three questions first, and maybe we know this, but maybe there's something else, a pivotal event that changed you. I think it's the bowel obstruction when I was in the hospital for a month. I feel like there was my life before the bowel obstruction and my life after because everything began to change after. Interesting. Okay. Thanks for yeah. thanks for sharing all that and being vulnerable about all of that. And yeah, I have to ask another question because just because it came to my mind that when we didn't get to talk about that too much, we moved right past the bowel obstruction. Do you think that that did that have something to do with your eating disorder? I think so. And the reason I say that that was the before and the after is when I was in the hospital with that, they don't know what caused it. That was the first time I ever admitted my husband wasn't in the room, but it was the first time I ever admitted that I was abusing laxatives because I was afraid that that was what caused it. And my GI assured me that it wasn't. I still to this day don't know if I believe him or not, but that's neither here nor there. It happened. But that was that was the beginning of the whispers that I 
probably had something I needed to deal with, Mm. but I still shoved it down. It was, I was not ready to tackle that at that time, but that was the tipping point. That was the before and the after. Good. Okay. So the next question is a person who changed you. That's fun to tell the story. And it's, it's unlikely in what everything we've just talked about, but there was this family that I used to babysit for when I was a young girl in high school. And they had four kids at the time. And she was a lovely woman. And they always went on smoking hot dates. And I got to come over and babysit and be a part of their family. And they had this beautiful family unit. But mom and dad were really, really tight. And they had a lot of fun together. And this one day she said, Suze, you've got to come over here because these kids are making me crazy. And I thought, you're like super mom. I can't believe you'd ever think your kids are making you nuts. But she gave me such a gift with letting me watch her life because I needed time to get away from my kids so that I could get filled back up so I could pour back out. That was a lesson she taught me that I just observed. And then she showed me what a family unit looked like that I wanted. And just like I said, we're raising great adults and that gave me a line to follow. Being able to be a fly on the wall in their family that way, it really did help me and Dave order our beginning steps when we were starting our family, which is all part of our journey of how we got here. So it was a very impactful relationship that it just kind of happened by happenstance because I'm an observer. I love that. We had a a family that was like that too. When we first were married and we first had a baby because we had a baby very early on in our, uh, on our first anniversary. (laughs) And, and I had no, I mean, I was young. We just moved away from our families and I, there's this young couple that kind of just took us in and to be friends, but they had three kids and they brought us in to be there, you know, just to love on us and stuff. And, oh my gosh, they totally impacted our life and how we did family and how we, you know, were with our kids and gave me permission to not be perfect because I could watch them and it was okay. Yeah. I, I had a person like that too. So Mary Swain, if you're out there listening, I, just am very, very, very grateful for you. But yeah, that's, that's wonderful. What was her name? Her name was Shan Patton and I adored her. I mean, hung the moon as far as I was concerned. Uh, And I've told her girls on numerous occasions, just how important their family was in helping me to become who I am as an adult. I'm forever grateful. I love that. Okay. The last one, a book that changed you. Okay, so we already did talk about Failing Forward by John Maxwell. Yes. But the other is so good. It's just such a great book. Mm I have two since Failing Forward is number one. John Maxwell and then um, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. So in the morning and at night, I review my goals and my brain is wired to solve problems. And uh, the other I really like is High Performance Habits by Brendan Bouchard because because it's teaching me that I can have change by, by setting in these habits. But then also it reinforces what I do as a profession about the importance of setting habits and cues to have success. Yep. I will put the link to all three of those fabulous books in the show notes too. So thank you very, very much for being with us today, with me today and having a conversation with me. My pleasure. Thank you for having me here to do this with you, despite all our technological issues. Oh, that was fine. I know for everybody else, we we kind of got cut out a few times, but boy, it was a fun, it was a fun conversation, fun time. Thanks we fought so to bring it to life. Yes, we did. <laughs> okay. Thanks so much. I'm so thankful for the time I had with Sue's. I love her vulnerability and willingness to share her, her challenges and failures and, and her growth with us. It is always redeeming, I think, to share your story of struggles with others. There's a benefit for both people, the person telling the story and the person who gets to learn from it. And I love that we have John Maxwell in common. I love John Maxwell, you all know. If you know me at all, you know how much I appreciate him and admire him. I encourage you to find anything from him out there and just take it all in. But one book that Suze mentioned a couple times of his was Failing Forward. Failing is part of life. It's part of being human, and it really has to happen for there to be 
any growth. I know that can really suck, but it's true. In my very first episode of I Used to Be a Therapist, I talked about the formula for growth in business and life. It's by John Maxwell, and the formula goes risk, fail, evaluate, change, and re-enter. The fail part happens after we risk and try things, right? And in life, sometimes those risks that we take aren't healthy. And when the consequences from those come, we experience failure. But the trick to moving and growing is to evaluate what's happening and change something in your life and re-enter a healthier person and with different actions. I love how Suzanne did this. She evaluated her life after failure. She did something to change it and took action. Again, she re-entered to make her life healthy. Have you ever found yourself in a place of failure? Whether it's from your own unhealthy choices or just circumstances that brought you there. I just want you to know that you can be okay. You really can. Just take time to evaluate what happened. Think about it. Process it. Look it over and write stuff down. How you got to where you are is important to know. And then make a plan to create change. After you make that plan, you have to re-enter. Try it again. Don't let the failure stop you for too long. It can be paralyzing, I know. But failure is actually good. We need to hear that. We need failure to move forward and become better. It seems strange to us, but it's true. We would never move forward without failure. We would get complacent and be satisfied with where we are. Or we would stay where we're comfortable. So fail forward. Let it propel you. Evaluate it. Change something and then re-enter. I know it seems weird to say, but failure has the potential to be the very best thing that ever happened to you. I promise. I'm so glad you joined us. Make sure to subscribe so you can get all the episodes and you can help support our podcast by clicking the support button in the show notes or going to our website, essentiallybetterlife.com. Follow me on social at Essentially Better Life and check out my website for all kinds of information on business and personal coaching, my book, and even some great stuff on essential oils. Thanks for listening. Blessings and be well, my friends.